0: did that thing at the all church retreat where when you had a little faith click when somebody was teaching or sharing or prophesying that you stood up right and which is i love that because it's just like the body testifying to the body right and sort of everybody helping everyone else to kind of uh get into the spirit of it so i don't we you do that in church mindy's doing it right now she's standing because she has faith everybody stand up on three one two three do you feel the belief? Absolutely. All right, go ahead and sit down if you don't believe. Ah. Uh, you got to stay sharp at church, people. This is, it hasn't kicked, oh, the coffee hasn't kicked in? Kwok asked, what is October known for? And everybody said Halloween. I guarantee you, both Mike Tober and I thought Oktoberfest. You, Midwesterners? Oh, yeah, 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 Halloween. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. Oktoberfest is in September. Oktoberfest is in September. Oh, in in, in Germany, yeah, in Germany, that's true. Well, Germans, (laughs) you know, you know. Um, You're a little bit warmed up. Here's a warm-up question for you. And, I don't know, it's a pretty high-level question, you know, and and I don't mean to make presumptions about your life or anything, but I I just wanted to get a a particular uh, stream of thought flowing. So let me ask you, in what ways are you putting the kingdom of God above all else in your life? Fairly challenging. Like I mean, you might have walked in thinking, I don't even know what I think about, about following God, but it's uh It's a presumptive question i'm presuming that you are doing it because should you i mean if if you're a jesus follower if you're, should you yes. I notice nobody's standing yeah um, so before we get to the point where we shout out answers, let me say well how how would you perceive, pursue the kingdom of God in life? what are some examples of Pursuing the kingdom of God. We just finished the last sermon series, a whole sermon series on the kingdom of God, so I think you probably have answers in your head um, somewhere. In what ways would you pursue the kingdom of God in your life? Go to church on Sunday. Go to church on Sunday. Thank you. Well done. Because you have done that this week. You have all succeeded. Just snaps, look at, look at one another and be like, Oh, ho, ho, ho. go to church on Sunday and be on time, All right? Anybody going to stand in faith for that one? Yeah. Nobody in the back, <laughs> I know that. Andrew was here, on, he was, he's here early every week throwing the sound system together and doing his part. All right, yeah, going to church on Sunday. what else? Read your Bible, right? The answer is always the Bible or Jesus. Sometimes praise in there as well. So that's always a great answer. What else? P- pursue the kingdom of God in your life. Love people. Love people. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's, that's a great answer. Love people. Uh, you know, and I love people as Jesus would, <clears throat> presumably, sacrificially. <clears throat> love people who haven't necessarily earned it from you, etc. Excuse me. Yeah, one or two more. Pursuing the kingdom of God in life. Forgive people, yeah, an important subset of loving people like Jesus did, right? You have to forgive them. And <clears throat> what's great about that one is that you can always do a check on your heart. And like, am I angry at, at someone or am I not angry at someone? Go ahead, check. <clears throat> and, uh, and you can tell how you're doing on that forgiveness quotient. What else? One more. great answer, right? Make work decisions or income decisions, make financial decisions based on the kingdom of God, what Jesus has taught us about the kingdom of God, as opposed to what the world says. Because, oh my gosh, if you want a place of contrast, kingdom finances versus worldly finances, right? Night and day, right? So that's that's a great one. And uh, what I appreciate about financial stuff is it's always easy, uh, no, not easy, but simple. Right, the choices are always super plain. And so that's great for me because I'm a simple simple guy. All right, so some great answers out there. You guys know what you're talking about. Um, In what ways are you putting the kingdom of God above all else in your life these days? Who's, Who's got a couple answers? Okay, you can brag a little bit. I'll tease you for it later, but... What ways are you putting the kingdom of God first, above all else in your life? You're living in community. Uh, Mindy lives at a K2, our community house, very intentional discipleship, hospitality house. So, yeah. Okay. That encompasses Ohana group. You're not only attending an Ohana group, you happen to be leading an Ohana group. And, uh, yeah, I mean, prioritizing weekly schedule relationships and stuff like that. Yeah. One more. Fasting. Fasting. Which is a spiritual discipline. uh, Usually accompanies prayer. You just stop eating for a while. Great way to get focused, man. Great way to to focus in, to dial down. Um, We've touched on a few different things generally, like categorically scheduling, right? In what ways are you putting the kingdom of God above all else in your schedule, your weekly schedule, even your daily schedule? Uh, finances, we said that's a great one. In what ways are you pursuing the kingdom of God above all else, above all else in your financial life? I mean, I don't know if you have easy answers, but that's a great question to ask yourself. Uh, and another one we're kind of touching on with you know, love, forgiveness, in what way are you putting the kingdom of God above all else in your life in terms of your relationships. Those are three great areas where this is always measurable, right? Maybe not with great specificity, but always measurable. All right, you feel warmed up? Those are are some hard questions. Give each other a high five and say, I'm probably doing better than you. (laughs) Then you can forgive and stuff. Then you can forgive and stuff. going to talk today about how Pursuit of the Kingdom kind of makes a way uh, in your life that is unique and powerful. <clears throat> Excuse me, I've kind of crumb in my throat. <clears> throat> Back um, during the months when we were first planting uh, Blue Water Mission, I mean, we had nothing. We had zero money. We were trying to find a place where we could meet. For a while, we couldn't. We had to rent a room. It was a place in the evening. Um, But it was just a a super jammed up time of my life, generally, and my kids were small, so we had two small children that we were parenting. I mean, that's enough. Uh, Right about that time, my dad was diagnosed with brain cancer. Um, And so it was like, you know, how long was he going to live? What could I do? I sort of jumped into that world and, and was kind of helping manage some avant-garde treatment options and stuff like that. You guys have been through that, some of the, you, so you know what that's like. At that same exact time, uh, my grandmother, uh, Nana, moved in with us because her husband had died and she was getting up there. Um, she needed to come over. Uh turned out she lived for quite a long time after that and, and was a major part of this church. Uh, until she was 97. Um, and then trying to plant a church, which is a deal, right? That's, that's hard work, uh, if you don't know. It's crazy. Um, and then um, I had effectively, in doing that, uh, quit my former ministry job. So Sonia and I had absolutely zero income when we were doing this. And, you know, it's not like the church could pay us a salary or anything at that point because we had no money. And so we were just kind of living month to month and, like, literally just praying that money would show up somehow so that we could pay our bills. And, you know, we'd had some uh, different forms of saving. You know, we were able to sell some stuff and pay some of our our bills and stuff that way. But, um, you know, the the little bit we had stored up was gone. And, you know, so it was that, that time of life. And, and just the, the pressures of it, it's like, well, you, know, you don't know if you're gonna make it month to month. You're trying to plant a church. You don't know if that's gonna work. You know, uh, how many originals are here today? You were there at the beginning. Yeah, so you remember. <clears throat> and then, you know, waking up every day, uh, wondering if my dad was gonna make it through the month, you know, and then elder care. He, Right? You get the feel of it. And so what do you do in times like that? And so what I decided to do was write a book, um, as one does. But the thing was, I had, I had felt for some years that God had intended me to write. I'm, I'm a pretty good writer, and this call is on my life. And, and uh, in those moments uh, where I had occasion to ask the Lord, man, what... What shall I do uh, next? What shall I do with my life? This has gotten crazy. And I, ha- I have to have those conversations with the Lord quite a bit. Um, one thing I always felt from the Lord was like, write, man, just write. It was almost like he was saying, I don't care what you write, just write something. And uh, I would always done a little you know, conference teaching and stuff like that. I would teach on power ministry and healing and prophecy and things like that. And I had this book in my head for years, for about seven years. And I decided that this was the time that I was going to write the book. It was just really pressing on me. Uh, But how was I going to do that? So the way I did it is I did it one cup of coffee at a time. I didn't have any office or anything like that, no space. Um, If you met with me during those early years of Blue Water Mission, you met in my garage, remember? A little space in my garage where the beam was exactly six feet off the ground. I know this because I'm six foot two and still have scars, um, but so no, no place to meet, and, and my, my household was crazy, uh, so I would go to Starbucks every morning, and I would buy a tall cup of coffee, which was the absolute extreme reach of my financial strength at the time, uh, and I would drink that cup of coffee, uh, it would take me about an hour, And I would open up the laptop. Somebody had given me a used laptop, and I would type away on the book. And that's why I wrote the book. It came to be called Miracle Work. Oh, yeah. yeah. All right. Even even that was a bit of a strain financially and, and stuff like that. I don't know how it happened exactly, but somehow people kind of got the notion that Starbucks time was important for me. I didn't talk about the writing project because, you know, it seemed almost inappropriate. But people would come up to me out of the blue and say, hey, I was thinking of you this week or praying for you this week, and I just wanted to give you a Starbucks gift card. Maybe you could go, you know, get a break at Starbucks. And I said, well, I'll go to Starbucks. I'm not going to get a break, but I'm going to do what I feel called to do and write this book. And it got crazy. Like, Thing, cards were just arriving in the mail. People I know from the other side of the country were sending me greeting cards that said, hey, I was just in a Starbucks, and suddenly I thought of you. I bought one of these cards. <laughs> Here you go. Um, in the course of it, it took me about maybe 16, 18 months to write the book. In the course of that time, I always had six or eight of these cards in my satchel. Some of you, you're, you're thinking, I think I gave him. Yes, yes, some of you did. I always had six or eight of these Starbucks cards in my satchel, and in the course of uh, the 16 months or so it took me to write the book, I got 80. What? 80 Starbucks cards, roughly, at 79, 80, I lost track, but, you know, about 80 of these Starbucks cards. My favorite one came from uh, this kind of guy who had gotten involved in the church. His name was Philip, he was sort of semi-homeless. He was living in his van at the time. Um, he was a refugee from Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans, he'd ended up in Hawaii, just kind of, um, you know, one leg, wheelchair bound. Um, But he would spend his days often in Kapilani Park, and I would sometimes go to the Kapilani Starbucks there and hide and write my book, and and I'd say, hey, Philip, how you doing? Because he parked his van there. And so one morning I was doing that, and he wheels up to me, and he gives me a Starbucks card. $75 on this. I have no idea where he got the money, but he just said "Uh, you need a place to work. Your work is important, Jordan. And then he wheeled himself off. And I was just so desperate during that time of life, you know, and I remember just standing there and staring at that card and thinking, homeless people are funding this book. (laughs) Right? And so it must be important, like freakishly weird, but it must be important. Anyway, so some of you have read that book. The book is in its seventh or eighth uh, printing now. InterVarsity Press has has released it. And through that book, I I was always worried, like, are my kids going to be hopelessly scarred from this time of my life? What's the answer? Yes. (laughs) No, not really. But, you know, because I wrote the book, uh, we got invited all over the world to do ministry. My kids, went, almost every trip that we took, we, we traveled in Asia, we traveled in Europe, we traveled all over the United States. Uh, so they got opportunities that they would not have had and got to see the kingdom of God in action in different places. Um, what I, the reason I'm, I'm telling this story is because I realized... Uh, in that experience, as I have occasionally in other experiences, that if you do your purpose, your purpose makes a way, right? If you do the thing that you feel God wants you to do, if you do the kingdom thing that God wants you to do, even on those occasions when it makes horrible sense, and you don't have the resources to pull it off, right? Suddenly, somehow it makes sense. Somehow, when you don't have energy, but you do it, you get energy. Somehow, you know, if if you require resources, and I didn't require a lot of resources, but I couldn't even afford coffee, right? But the resources would just flow kind of out of the blue in the mail, right? And when you don't know if you have a future, somehow if you do it, it makes a future. If you think it's going to be bad for the people around you, the little vulnerable people in your life, somehow it actually ends up expanding their lives when you do it, right? When you do your purpose, then your purpose makes a way. And I would say probably that that book, the teachings that I depended in the book, as much as anything else, are probably responsible for the success of the church plant that has ultimately become Blue Water Mission. Uh, and, you know, and therefore uh, a key ingredient in all the stuff that Blue Water Mission has done here and, and around the world, all the people that we have graduated um, I'm in this uh, season of life uh, right now, sorry, I'm doing a lot of storytelling today, um, where I I have felt convicted, well, about two and a half years ago, I felt convicted, like, oh, I really need to get into an intense writing season again. And, you know, true to form, at that point, everything in my life went wrong. And I've talked a little bit about that. So if you've been tracking my life at all, things just got horrible. And so honestly, I have not been doing a great job. I have this book that's almost done on the life of Try, which is a big deal, at uh, Blue Water, but it's been almost done for a long time. What's that? Book illustrations. That's what God's book illustrations. <laughs> yeah, lots of trying. Um, but it's been almost done for a long time. I'm not finishing it, and you know, and, uh, and I've just been dragging through life in so many ways, so many challenges. You know, and, and some of you have been having seasons like that as well. And I just, I just got fed up. You know, about uh, a little over a week ago now, I said, "Well, I can't, I can't finish my big writing projects as I should. I'm gonna, I want to do this article. One of the things that I felt called, called to do during this season was to build a boat. You guys, have not been telling you up, but just equally stupid. <laughs> you know, and because to build a boat, I essentially had to build a boat building company and so invent some technology. And it's just like this typical Jordan story, which is just like." Yeah, anyway, you know what I mean. Uh, uh, yeah. So I I've had this idea to write an article about my boat-building escapades. Uh, yeah, so I did. I wrote a 3,000-word article about building a boat, and I sent it to the world's largest sailing magazine. I did that in a week. I was just, like, feverish. It's like, I don't care, but I can, for three days, I can just block out and do this. And then I sent it away, and less than 24 hours as I sent it, the editor got back to me and they accepted the article for publication. Yeah, yeah. I was quite honest. I said, yeah, you know, this, this project happened because my life sucked, you know, and we talked about um, being a minister and, you know, and that uh, my atheist boat-building friend who now says that we're doing this boat as a mission from God and you know, I was like it was all in there. So I thought probably that, well, best case scenario, nobody will want to publish this. It's, it's. I mean, it's super interesting. But it's so she, no, she said, just gushed about the article. It's like, yeah. It's like this is like the best thing ever. Uh, people don't usually write this well for a magazine, um, and I was deeply moved by it. Um, the way I did it is that I needed some extra faith, so I, I, went, to, I went to lunch with Ted Liu, uh who's a kind of a venture guy uh, in the church, um, because he's involved in things as crazy as the things I get involved in. So I said, I'm just going to have lunch with Ted. That will make me feel better, you know. And it did. And then they invited me over to dinner like twice in one week uh, to talk to other crazy, adventure-type people. And uh, In other words, I built a pathway Right? I, I had to shrug off a lot of stuff to do that. And you know, I don't know where that's gonna go, but at least I wrote something. And at least it's out there and it's honest, you know, and, and it's unique. And as the book did years ago, I'm wondering if this will lead to other things. You know? There's always a way to do what you ought to do, and if you don't do it, you miss out on much. But if you do it, it tends to create a lot of follow-on ripples. You know That's the principle on which I live my life, And I think it's a kingdom principle. And uh, so I want to read some scripture now. I've left it late in the sermon, but it's a really familiar scripture, so perhaps it won't need a lot of investigation. Uh, it's from Matthew chapter 6, which means it's from the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus's most famous teaching, and probably the most famous moral teaching in all of world history. Uh, and we'll throw it up on the board. You can follow along on your own Bibles. Uh, we're going to read Matthew 6, 25 through 33. And if you've been hanging around churches at all in life, if you've read anything from the Bible, you probably know this. Uh, even non-believers will know this passage. Jesus is just sermonizing to the crowd. It's a very interesting crowd filled with a lot of rabble. It's got a lot of sick people, a lot of foreigners, a lot of low-class folks. And Jesus says to them, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Which is quite a significant thing to say to this crowd because some of them were just probably on the edge of starvation and they would be wearing rags and stuff like that. So don't worry about what you'll eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is life, is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Which is a more interesting question than it first appears, I think. Look at the birds of the air, he says. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. True. Are you not much, uh, not much more valuable than they... So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you feed them. He's calling God a Father, which was something that Jesus only did. Here's verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. He goes on to say, don't worry about tomorrow. Oh, it's got enough trouble of its own. Super familiar passage, right? Did you guys already know that passage? Have you heard that before? Um, you are not allowed to worry. What are we allowed to worry about? <laughs> Nothing. Good. It was a trick question. You guys are, gave me a trick response. Excellent. That yeah, you're not allowed to worry about anything. Right? He's talking to people who are semi-starving, and so you're not allowed to worry about food. He talked to people that were dressed in rags, worried about their image in a society that was pretty dang classist. And he said, you're not allowed to worry about what you wear or how people perceive you, essentially is what that means. You know, you're not allowed to worry about tomorrow. You're not allowed to worry about your future. You're not allowed to worry about anything, uh, Jesus says. And I love that passage because it's so simple and so sweeping, so inclusive. You're not allowed to worry about anything because why? Because the father's got you, right? Which says two things. One, you actually have a father, right? And, and Jesus' revolution uh, was largely based on the idea that God was not distant, angry judgmental. He was actually a, a very loving father. He actually used the word Abba, daddy. You know, he referred to God as daddy, which was extraordinary. And so, you know, God is a father who loves you. He's an attentive parent, and therefore, he's going to look out for you and he's going to help you. And also, he's pretty powerful. So that really helps. That's one answer, because, because God is actually uh, a parent uh, for you. And there's another answer, well, a little different, uh, which is, uh, has to do with a mechanism, I think a mechanism of provision. And this comes at the end of that passage in verse 33, where Jesus says, seek first the kingdom and God's righteousness, and then all of the other stuff will be added to you. And that's a very mechanical phrase. It's like, if you prioritize kingdom pursuits, then everything else will flow. It's kind of like he's saying, this is how your loving father has set it up. All you have to do is the kingdom calling that he's given you. And if you do that, hey, man, you can trust that everything else is just going to show up. Everything else is going to click in. All right, so the implication of that being if you maybe don't pursue your kingdom pursuits first, the system gets gummed up. Right? You're, you're kind of fouling up the distribution plan. But if you do your kingdom pursuit first, which is to say if you prioritize it, if you pursue kingdom things above all else in life, then you will have all else in life. Right? That, I mean, it's a very simple teaching, and it's sort of an inescapable conclusion. Do you think it's true? Well, let's break it down a little bit in our categories. Your schedule. If you pursue kingdom things above all else in the way you schedule stuff, will you have enough time or not enough time? In fact, you'll have more time than you would otherwise. You know? simplistic example you know Karen brought up showing up to church on Sunday or if you wanted to be like walking on water showing up to church on time like Mike does always in the front always on time um, is that going to do you have enough time to pull that off or are you too busy all right but if you did that do you think do you really think that you would have more usable time in your life well, it's a really easy way to test the kingdom promise or, you know, a group schedule or, you know, like there are all sorts of other time demands and things that you could schedule in there. Finances, you know, if you're being generous and sacrificial with your money, do you really think you would have enough money? Yeah. Right? Would, would it create more resources or fewer resources in your life? If you, I mean, it's just super testable, which is why I like it. Relationships, right? If you're feeling lonely, the, the, the world way to handle it is to go out there and get some love, but another way to do it is to go out there and love people whom nobody else loves, or to hang out with people, you know, you, you don't even like, you know, Ariel and AJ, they don't really like each other, but, but they hang out because of Jesus, right, and, you know, and then gradually love and support gathers around them in life a good illustration. What do you think, guys? <laughs> Auntie Mia feels bad for you. <laughs> um, I mean, that, that, that's the teaching, you know, because God knows what you need, and he has this mechanism for providing your needs, and all you have to do is, kingdom, is prioritize kingdom things above all else, you know, in, in life. We have another way of saying it at Blue Water, and I just felt today that I really wanted to remind you guys uh, about, about this you know, this saying, is sort of like a Blue Water m- mantra almost, which is simply, in your purpose lies your power. That's the way we say it. In your purpose lies your power. God has given you a purpose. Part of it is just sort of general kingdom stuff. You're supposed to be a light in the world. You're supposed to be salt in the earth right? You're supposed to gather people in. You're supposed to spread the love of Christ, the forgiveness of Christ, the the generosity and justice of Christ, all those things. That's what you're supposed to do. And if you do those things, you will be a far more powerful person in all regards than if you don't do those things. It's in your purpose that your power lies. It's in your purpose that your provision lies. It's in your purpose that your safety lies. It's in your purpose that your confidence lies. It's in your purpose that your healing lies, right? But you gotta do your purpose, and then all these other things will be added to you as well. And so we try very hard to be people of purpose. Shallow-minded people define that shallowly. They say, "Uh, you're just gonna tell me exactly what dream will fulfill my life. Yeah, sort of, but actually I'm telling you what purpose, what job is going to fulfill your life. Sometimes it doesn't feel like a perfect dream. Sometimes uh, it might involve sacrificing dreams that you have, but it's still gonna make you a more powerful, plentiful person if you follow that purpose, right? We just did a whole sermon series on kingdom purposes. We've been talking about the purpose of evangelism rather pointedly the last several weeks. Uh, It's a follow-on to stuff that God did at the all-church retreat in which he seemed to be saying Oh, this is a priority that I have for you guys Right, you gotta you got to get out there and and gather in but we need to execute that purpose And if we do then everything else will fall into place You need to execute your version of that purpose Uh, You need to do what God is leading you to do um, Above all else and if and if you do and all those other things that are weighing down your life will get taken care of. Classic Jesus. Classic Jesus teaching. Your loved ones who depend on you need you to pursue your kingdom purpose above all else. Because if you don't, you're going to be a little withered version of yourself. Right? Um, and if you do, you're going to be a powerful version of yourself, and you will have plenty to give them you will have plenty left over for them, right? Loaves and fishes, you know. They didn't have enough to feed the crowd, so they stole a kid's lunch, gave thanks for it, passed it out to the crowd, and at the end of it, each of them had a whole basket full of leftovers to eat, right? So not only were they able to provide for others, but they were able to provide for their their own selves, Um, their own ohana, if you will. That's the Jesus promise anyway. And I just felt like rehearsing that very simple point today. Um, I've been struggling a lot in life, just in all of these things. I've been struggling in my schedule. I've been struggling in my finances a lot. I've been struggling in my relationships um, uh, a lot. And I think... One of the reasons I've been struggling is because I've been dragging my feet on things that the Lord has told me to do. I just talked about the example of writing um, today, but I know that I'm, I'm like behind on these projects that I'm, I should have already delivered, and I think if I had delivered them, if I had done it, then I would have more paths open to me today, right? So it's just, just confessional. I don't have a lot of paths open. I'm really, really struggling to make my crazy projects work out, I think because I've essentially been disobedient. <clears throat> I can justify why. It's because my life has been really, really hard. But here's the insight, people. It's because my life has been hard that I really need to focus in and get my purpose done. Because then it will release power that will take care of the hard stuff. Or at least empower me to take care of the hard stuff. Do you, under, do you understand? So. A hard life is not an excuse to avoid kingdom priority. A hard life is a motivation to fulfill your kingdom priority. And then when you do, things will open up for you, and you won't feel like you're butting your head against brick walls all the time. That's a promise straight from Jesus. And I just want us to be very, very clear about it, because I know that Things are hard for you, right? And it's been a hard season for all of us. More than any other time in your life, perhaps, you need to make sure that you are kingdom-obedient and kingdom-pursuant, right? Even if it doesn't make sense. Maybe especially if it doesn't make sense, right? Because miracles don't make sense. That's why we call them miracles. Um, So... People obsess about finding their one true purpose sometimes. We're going to do a, a Pathway to Purpose uh, retreat in the new year at some point. I forget. Sounds good. I don't know exactly when. Where we kind of help you figure out what your unique calling might be. But I'm telling you, you don't need that because you already have a calling. Right? Just the basic Jesus calling to be light, to be salt, to be gatherers, to, be, to show up, to... Uh, Be loving, to be sacrificial, to be generous. Influence somebody for Jesus. And if you've got gifts or callings or skills to bring to bear, use them. If you don't, try anyway. And then doors will open and paths will open. And ultimately it will be a testimony to you and to your family and all who depend on you. That's, the, that's the, the Jesus teaching. It's really just about prioritizing godly things. And I just don't want Satan to take us out because we fail on this very, very simple score. God stuff first. In your schedule, in your finances, in your relationships, in your work. God stuff first. Or you'll be a poorer version of yourself and a poorer life that goes nowhere. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would um, come to us in that spirit of adoption in which you came to Jesus that first time and said at his baptism, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Uh, Listen to him. Uh, you came in the spirit of adoption, you came as a parent, and you came to empower and make us influential, listenable, believable. Uh, Come and and speak to us and infuse us with that same spirit of adoption, that reassurance of parental care, and the confidence that comes from walking with you, knowing that we are the light and that we are are the influencer in any crowd, any office, any classroom, any neighborhood. I'm just gonna let the Spirit speak to you for 30 seconds. Lord Jesus, you are our primary way maker. You made a way for us into eternity. You make a way for us through our life here as well. Uh, We pray, Father, that we would be people of the way um, that the world could look at Blue Water Mission and see the way of things, the way that life is to be lived. They would see the way in which ordinary lives become influential light-filled lives of plentiful harvest. I'd just like to end by praying for those of you who feel like you need a plentiful harvest in life. I'm, I'm thinking, I think I'm talking mostly about, about um, material challenges, although it might be some relational challenges as well. But it's like, wow, things have felt barren and dry and unproductive. I really need for things to get productive now. And if that's you, I'd just like to end by praying for you in particular. If uh, some, one of the, somebody on the prophetic team has a specific word to share, you can get ready. And the uh, prayer ministry team can work their way up here after this. But I want to pray for you in particular if that's you. You're like, I need productive stuff to happen now. Go ahead and stand up. We'll pray for you. Your brothers and sisters, will pray for you. All right, guys, uh, pray with me, please. Those of you around, just extend a hand in blessing and just pray right along with me. You guys know that I've been struggling. Some of you are probably in a stronger, more faith-filled place than I am. So minister with that to these brothers and sisters who need to borrow of your spirit right now. We bless you in Jesus' name with kingdom harvest. I just see that the Lord has spoken to you today and showed you clarity about how to do kingdom things in a prioritized fashion. I see clarity in your minds. All right, and I bless you with this promise that as you follow through, you will see things open up magnificently. I bless you with that promise in the name of our Lord Jesus. And I bless you with the promise of grace because you don't have to do anything perfectly. You are not called to be supergiant Christian. You're just called to be you and to give it a good try. I bless you with a word of grace and with provision that comes from heaven, not from you, through you, but not of you. In Jesus' name. Go ahead and just shout out a blessing to somebody near you. Just take a, take a second. All you're obligated to do is what you feel like you're supposed to do. That's all. I bless you. In Jesus' name, everybody says.